everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Pure Hustle Podcast. Yes, thank you so much. We do have a request though before we get started. If you have found our content to be entertaining or helpful, would you consider leaving us a review on iTunes? Those five-star reviews really help to make sure that our content gets out there and that our show continues to grow. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Pure Hustle Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando and we're on episode 323. Yeah. Three, An update episode. 323. And uh, I'm coming in almost as deep as you are today. Yeah, like well, well, you're recovering here. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's been a. I guess I'll start with the update here. It's been a rough week, man. It, it wasn't co. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it, yeah. we, we've already been shadow banned. I wish they would release release the YouTube files. Maybe, maybe. Like, I don't know. Would we be like not amplified? I, I, I'm sure we're such small fish. It doesn't matter. But uh, <laughs> I think we could say the word COVID. Uh, okay. So um, it wasn't COVID, but man, my the a sickness went through my uh, my family's. Uh, like my whole family, like it was rough for a week. I had to take some time off of work. And so uh, needless to say, things like sourcing was just not in the mix there. Uh, it was a lot of sleeping. Uh, but uh, one one side effect of the, you know, I'm on the, I'm on the upswing now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm good. That's good. Like I'm better. Like I'm not contagious anymore. I hope you're fine, Orlando, I think. Um, so <laughs> I've been sick so many times. Yeah, like, it's fine. I'm good. I'm but, uh, fine. but, but I've got the, the a little bit deeper voice going. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, either it's going to annoy people or, or they're going to be like, man, Mike is sounding smooth one way or another. We'll see that DJ late night DJ. That's voice. right. Now's the time for some negotiating. See, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm exhausted, man. It's so Q4 has, I don't want to say taken off, but it's definitely here. And I want to tread lightly. I know a lot of people are saying they're having slow sales and I just now I'm getting the craziness of Q4 and it's different. It's not an Amazon Q4. It's an eBay Q4. And so, you know, it's not me doing a bunch of FBA boxes, not doing, you know, a bunch of driving with the van. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't rent the van this year and go get a bunch of hotels and oh, that was such missing a good it. Time. Oh, I so my question it. is though, did you probably spend a lot more money on the travel and rentals and, and hotel than, than you realize maybe? <laughs> I, I did. Maybe. Were you keeping no, no, accurate? No, no, that, no, I, no I, I lived it up. Now, I lived it up more in 2020. I was staying at like five-star hotels. I, I ate to the nines. It was, it was good. Last year, it was more like three to four-star hotels. And mm. this year, it was no hotels. But here, here's what I'll say. I know, I know this isn't my part of my update, but I am enjoying the holiday time a lot more. And, and that's something you got to think about when you're thinking about reselling Q4. And, and I know I've always been diehard you know, don't sleep, keep hustling, make as much money as possible because there's not that much opportunity. But right now, as things are just interesting, I'm more of going, you know what? If things aren't crazy, I'm just going to enjoy more time with my family. I'm going to enjoy more time with my community. And so I've had, you know, a lot of opportunities to do some volunteering. I've had some opportunities to uh, do some things with my family that I normally have not done in the holiday time. And so I'm okay this Q4. I mean, am I missing out the money? Sure. I mean, I, I remember the good old days of making several grand a day, and it's not like that right now, but it's it's just it's just different. So again, ROI is still good. Just the return on investment is different. Yeah, you're you're investing in different things in some ways. But but has uh, eBay sales been so yeah, it's it's been crazy. So this is this is what I'll say about all that is that well, there's plenty to say. Okay. Uh before I say anything though, I do want to say thank you to all of you that took the time to let us know that our last episode was a great episode. Oh yeah. Cause remember at the end of the episode, remember how I felt? Do you remember? I don't. So sometimes we record an episode, I'm like, that's a great episode. Then the other times Those are I'm, usually the really bad ones. I think so. And I then think when th- Orlando's like, I'm like, bro, that was great. <laughs> Because that last one, okay, the one about needing to be more selective, I remember it was it was ruminating in my head and I didn't really know what it was going to look like. And I told you, I said, Mike, here's my thoughts. This is what I think I'm going to what I think we should do. And he's like, all right, let's let's just go for it. And I remember at the end just feeling like, oh, this is terrible. I I don't. But I think what people appreciated really and what I saw a lot of the comments were that was the fact that times are different. And recognizing that that that's what separates good resellers or, or good business people in, in pretty much any field. When things are really easy, like, you know, back in a few years ago or, you know, back in 2005, pretty much anybody could be a real estate agent. Right? Mm-hmm. Like real estate agents were just like 
swimming in cash. It was ridiculous how much cash they were were making. And the problem is the really bad ones were just spending their cash as if they expected their life was always going to look like that. And they weren't really developing their craft because anybody could sell a house at any time to almost anybody. And so when all of a sudden it's really hard, the housing market crashes, just out of necessity, a lot of people are going to have to find new jobs. A lot of, you know, whether it's real estate or other businesses, construction, but the ones who are seasoned, they're veterans, they're willing to stick it out. They're the ones that are going to be successful in the long run, even if they have to really cinch the belt and really kind of just be willing to go through a time of famine, honing their craft, becoming experts, being the only ones in the field. So when the market ticks back up, they're there. They're there to to, to bring in the money mm-hmm. and they can keep bringing in the money until it gets really, really, really good and they're wise with their money. And then all of a sudden, all of the... It's almost like bandwagon fans for for a sport team. It's true. Right? Like when a sport team is doing really, really well. Oh, everybody's Everybody's there. a fan. Yeah. Everybody's, you know, buying their stuff and everybody's talking. It's almost like a, the World Cup that just happened. Oh my goodness. The students at my school, it's ridiculous. They're like wearing the Such jerseys. Such a great red cu- uh, World Cup though. They're, they've got like, they're collecting like, you know, cards from it and, it and it's listening to them talk about stats and this team and this team. And I'm thinking, most of you guys have never watched soccer before. But you've listened to some commentary about soccer and because it's a big thing, like everybody becomes an expert for a short amount of time. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think the same thing can happen in in something like reselling where the market's doing really well and you can pretty much make money doing anything. You can make money selling courses, teaching people how to make money by making courses, teaching people how to... Because everybody's making money. Everybody's Mm -hmm. spending money. Mm -hmm. But the true test of a fan is the person who knows the stats on off seasons, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. true test of a, of a reseller or the true test of any business person is, are they willing to stick it out, hone their craft um, and, and get through hard times? Even if that means finding other side hustles, making things work, but not giving up. And we mentioned that for some people, maybe it is time to say like, Hey, this isn't where I should be right now. This isn't, this isn't my expertise. Um, or, or even just that, the time I'm spending, the return on investment isn't worth it for me. I'm doing this part time. I'm doing this just to make a little bit of money. I can make more money by, you know, watching my neighbor's kids a couple times a week than I'm making reselling right now with half the amount of work. So maybe I should do that. So there's nothing wrong with figuring out the best way to make money with your use of time. But at the end of this, if you're a reseller, you can go through a hard time and say, this isn't the end. Well, it's interesting. And again, I I don't always, I think they've done this like twice on a pod, in the podcast saying, I don't always do this, but I'd recommend uh, Pete Craigslist Center, who I highly respect. And and usually he's spot on when he's talking about things. Uh, he recently, yeah, I did. I mentioned the other day he was talking about the live and I just saw another video. I'm like, this is really good. Uh, and now Mike and I, I was looking at when Mike and I were talking about recession. And we started talking about recession, which I think that's why we were shadow banned seven months ago. Seven months ago, we started talking about reselling in a recession. I feel like it was even before that, because before you came in, to, got to this house. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's true. You're right. You're we, right. Were, we were talking about recession. I remember we recorded one where I was in my car. We were like in between studios at a time. And that's right. And, that's a lot. And, and I'm, we're talking about like, the, because you don't have to be a genius to recognize that that the that markets are always, it's always, mm-hmm. there, there's periods of growth and expansion. There's periods of retraction. And those periods tend to be seven to 14 years long, depending on what's going on. And we were in one of the longest periods of growth and expansion that our country has ever been in. And it's just obvious that there is going to be a a downhill to this. Like it doesn't keep going up forever. And so just recognizing that, you know, uh, is going to help you be a, a more successful reseller because you're going to be paying attention to the market. You're going to be paying attention to what's happening. And then it allows you to also be, you know, reflect and think, I've never been through a recession as a reseller before. Can I reach out to the people who have what's been successful? Can I look at past trends? And the people who are doing those things a year ago, two years ago, were the ones that are going to be the most successful now. Yeah. And I think it was April of 2021 that we were talking about that. And I remember I, I was, start, yeah, that's right. I started doing research and I wanted to know what were resellers doing back in 08. How was the market? And then that's when we started having those conversations. So you're right. It's true. It was a long time ago. Uh, and now it's over a year from now. And, and and I said, I remember at that time, I said, once the GDP declines to two quarters in a row, we were in a recession. And then that happened. And then the government was like, nope, we're not technically in a recession. It's like, wait a second. This has only been the standard for, you know, 50 years. Anyways, let's get back to what we're talking about. So 
check out uh, Pete's video. It's called The Recession Already Started. And in 2023, it's going to get worse. And not just because of the doom and gloom, but he said something there, which I find to be very true. And a lot of resellers have told me is that reselling is like the market right now. There's going to be plenty of opportunities to buy cheap inventory and you may still be able to sell it, but you're not going to be able to sell it at a premium. Like you had said last episode where what's selling at a premium right now is the the top items in the collectible market, not the, you know, people kind of want to have it. And so they're willing to spend. No, no, it's the items that people still really want. And even though times are hard, the people with the money are still going to buy those items. And so Pete had had been relating the idea that people now are selling their whole collections, stuff that they normally wouldn't sell because now they're trying to make enough money to cover for, you know, that gap that inflation has caused, whether it be in gas, whether it be in groceries or even just trying to buy stuff for Christmas. And I'm finding a lot of that right now and i'll share that right now i'll just i'll just start my update uh outside of so q4 has been really good q4 has been really great and so i i don't know what it was i will say the one thing i think that tipped it for me was my sourcing has been different in the last six months and it's kind of what p was talking about in in that episode that you have to source in a way that you have to understand some things you're gonna have to hold and the mar- the price will bounce back but you're going to have to find ways to make it in that in-between time. And so in the last six, eight months, I've stopped sourcing a lot of clothing. I still do source clothing. It's not like I don't, but I've been sourcing a lot of vintage items as far as toys, collectibles, just, just items I know have always been good bread and butter. And so most of my sales have been vintage toys. It's It's been crazy. So let me let me I just let me just list off some of the items that have sold for me uh, that have, it, it, this is just in the last few days. So buckles have been the norm. But for example, I've sold railroad trains, boxcars galore. I have sold I sold a vintage remote remote control car uh, last night for one hundred and fifty dollars. It was like an Erdl, uh, I forget, DeLorean, DeLorean or something like that. Oh, here it is. It was a radio control blue Merker. It was a Merker car. Okay. I've also just sold a, a railroad set for $150. Just sold a vintage uh, Christmas caroling belt for 115 bucks. And I can go on and on about these different vintage toys. Vintage transformers I just sold for $100. <laughs> vintage uh, baseball gloves, vintage Hot Wheels. Like if you notice the trend here, these are all toys. Like th- the only clothing I've really been selling has been like Dixon flannels, uh, Pendleton stuff, kind of like the tried and true, but pretty much everything else has been, has been some kind of toys or some, I'm selling here, Super Bowl magazines. It's just, it's been interesting. And so I remember six to eight months ago, I was looking at the market and I'm like, okay, the market's obviously getting away from clothing. Now I do think one of the reasons that clothing has dipped a lot is because of high volume, secondary, low profit sellers. So that has flooded the market. And and I think the flooding of that market from whatnot, and I think the flooding of that market from people buying from whatnot, and just people just going, you know what? I don't care anymore. It's fast nickel. I got to make that cash. Clothing has definitely taken a dive. There's still great profitable stuff out there. There's vintage shirts that sell for good money. But I think overall, the clothing market, I saw it shifting too fast. And what I basically started doing is whatever big YouTubers were trying to sell for a fast nickel. I stopped sourcing those items. I mean, that's a good, uh, that's a good, like, I don't know, weather stick. I don't know what the right term is, but a good, what's, what's the term for something? that I, I like measures. About. So it, that's a good way to measure whether or not you should be in something. If it's, I talked about last episode, I think for my, um, I was like, a, not hustle. It was hustle of the week. Um, paying attention to YouTubers when they're trying to, when they drive up the demand for something. Mm -hmm. So there's the sense of that. So if you're in a niche, you're into a specific category and YouTubers or influencers are driving up the demand, they're talking about it, they're hyping it up, prices tend to rise. But in the reselling community, it's almost the opposite. When the influencers, and they may do that, like for instance, if it's something like fingerlings, it's like you gotta get these fingerlings because, so they might drive up the price. But Tommy Bahama is a great example of that. Right, so when you've got, when you've got resellers who are offloading and they're like really pushing a certain thing, there's a potential that that's something again, that they're trying to offload. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And so, again, that could cause flooding of market and that could cause issue in two ways. One, it increases the competition in an area where everyone's now looking for a certain brand. And so it's harder to find. And then two, everybody's picking it up. What used to be not too many of them on eBay. Now there's a ton of them on eBay because people have scoured every thrift store and garage sale, mm-hmm. bought them and then thrown them on eBay. And so that can drive the prices down. So, yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good measure to say, like, uh maybe actually I shouldn't be in this. Like when we say bolos and things, we try to be general with like specific, like general things to be looking or hard out to for. find items. Right. And that's, that's where I'm at is that I don't think there's anything wrong in sharing bolos. We've talked about this. I think retail bolos, I think should not be shared because those are easily accessible. But I think when it comes to like, let's say clothing, that's really easy to find like mall brands. Okay. There are certain brands that you can go into a thrift store and you'll find them at every thrift store or you'll find them pretty much at every other thrift store. And so when there are high volume sellers that are selling those items and they're getting them for cheap, you have to get them cheaper than they do. And generally that's pretty hard to do. It's pretty tough because remember the the larger the network an individual has, the more access they have to cheaper goods. So you have to really be careful. So I'm, I'm grateful that during this last six, eight months, I, w- I really got into the vintage Hot Wheels market, vintage trains, uh, all kinds of vintage toys, just vintage items galore that are very hard to get. It's not like you can just randomly go to a thrift store and you're going to find these. I would argue that you cannot find these ever in a thrift store. Most of the time I picked any of these up, they've been through a local deal, through a business card I dropped off. So I'll give you an example. I had a major haul uh, this last week and I'll be sharing this when this episode drops on, on Instagram. So I went, you know, I was looking for local deals and somebody was selling a bunch of Lionel boxcars and they were selling them for $10 a piece. And I saw in the pictures that he had a lot of them. So I'm like, Hey, I messaged him. I'm like, Hey, are you willing uh, to sell all of them? And if you can sell all of them, can we work out a deal? And remember, never give the first number. So he said that he had about a hundred of them. And then he says, you know what? I can sell you all hundred of them for $750. So already the price dropped from 10 each to 750. And I said, Hey, that's great. Can I, can I just stop by and just see what you have? And, and maybe we could we could talk things out. So I show up and I have not seen so much Lionel in, in a long time. Right. And it, it wasn't like vintage. It was like 1973 and, and newer, but still good money. And if I, I was like, hey, if I can pick these up for five dollars a piece, I'm going to make a deal. And I've been talking about making obnoxious offers like right now. Everybody's trying to sell. So you have to bottom dollar, get the best deal you can get. And and most of the time, I think you can get it because people are really wanting to offload items. And so I said, I said, listen, I, I you know, I know I know you had to 750, but I'm at a certain price point. What can we do? And you'll see this in the Instagram video. And he's like, I don't know. How about 600? So already dropped another 150. I haven't said a word yet about what I'm thinking. And then I was like, I don't I don't know. I said, hey, listen, I'm going to give you a number, but I don't know if we'll be able to be friends after I give you this number. So I hope you're cool with this. That's another line I use. Yeah, it's, it's a good way to disarm people. It's like it goes back to that. Uh, the negotiating book of like, if you make yourself the bad guy. Yeah, it's yeah, harder yeah. for other people yeah. to look at you as the bad guy. And it's almost like a joke. You're like, I know I'm a total jerk. But and then yeah. you say that. And I really like the guy. I mean, we were talking. I was asking him, like, explain to me the difference between O gauge and O27 and explain to me why these Lionel trains are more valuable than these. And because I was really interested. So that I think helped. And then I told him, I said, how about 500 for all this? And he's like, uh, how about 575? And then I'm like, mm, how about 560? <laughs> and then he's like, all right, deal. Oh, you didn't even go to five fifty? No, because I, I, I was, I was, I was happy that we were. At, I mean, I could have. I think I might have gone to five fifty. I don't remember. It's well, it's the, ten dollars at that point. Yeah, I know. No, ten dollars. What's, what's ten dollars for a hundred? A hundred trains. So I picked up a hundred, and so at an average price of five sixty, I've already sold about six or seven of them for twenty five dollars a piece, and I still have ninety three left. So that's a hundred. 50 but here's the, here's the catch so i we always tell people let people know you're a reseller always so when i first showed up and i was looking at the trains he had asked me like oh, are you a collector he's like i got some engines here in the back some older trains so i didn't say anything yet and i went back and i and i looked and he wanted like top dollars for these engines they were nice but he wanted like 375 for one 370 for another and i said hey listen 
honestly, I, I'm not a collector. I'm a reseller and, and I need to make a profit. So I don't think I can buy these. And so he's like, oh, hold on, hold on. And, and ask me at the end and see if there's a, another deal I can make. I'm like, all right. So we're looking through all the trains and made the deal on the trains. We shook on it. And then he goes, hey, I got one more thing. So he pulls out this box. And in this box, he tells me that he bought 700 of, the, of these in the 90s. I'm like, oh, that's cool. He's like, but I'm down to nine. I'm just trying to offload them. And what these are are vintage yo-yos sealed in package. And I look and I'm like, huh. He's like, hey, I'm just letting you know these sell for like 40 bucks a piece. I'm like, okay. He's like, I'll sell them all to you for $40. He had nine of them. I look up comps. They're selling for like 80 to $100. So I'm like sold. I bought them. That night I list one. I sell one within a day for $105. Nice. The yo-yo game, man. The yo-yo game. Yo-yo life. So I can't lose because if I sell all nine of the yo-yos, I'm in the profit. That's a, the yo-yo YOLO. 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 So that's a bolo. Free bolo there. So anyways, what I'm saying is the reason I bring up that is that there's, I think there's going to be even more opportunities to buy, more opportunity to make obnoxious offers. And so... I'm grateful that allowed me right now in the middle of Q4 to just list like crazy. They've been selling. People are wanting to buy. And yes, things have picked up. And I know that's not for everyone, but make sure that as you're reflecting on 2022, and we'll have a whole episode on this, that you're taking a look at the market and, and you're being real with yourself. Like what is not selling anymore, right? You might've had a huge haul of Pendleton's and picked up 50 and maybe Pendleton's aren't selling as well. I think they still are. But maybe it's slow down. They're not selling as fast. Or maybe you you've really gotten, you know, excellent at picking up certain kinds of boots and they were selling really well last year. And now you're looking back over the year and you're like, uh, maybe I need to start sourcing differently because I think that's going to make the difference. And we're, we're going to do a, a mini sode here soon about what doesn't lead to more sales. And I'm telling you, I don't believe constant listing leads to more sales. I think listing of I know this is going to sound stupid listing of good quality items that people want, but I'm telling you that there's this, there's this trope out there. Like you just list every day sales will come, but in this economy, I don't know if that's the case. Anyways, what's going on with you, man? (laughs) Sorry. All right. So my story uh, will kind of also be my random story because it's it's a little random. So first off, just as far as selling, um, I found that I've almost exclusively been selling shoes. Like really? I, I, yeah, I don't know That's if it's so crazy. part of it is I haven't sourced a lot of new like toy type inventory. And I yeah. think like you said that, that that's obviously going to be hot during Q4, uh, but I'm still doing fine with shoes, like the bread and butter type thing, shoes, some jeans, things like that. Um, but so I've got this story here and uh, it kind of connects to a video I did a while back for the the podcast where I was talking about buying on Kickstarter and selling. And one of the biggest risks that I took on Kickstarter has turned into a fiasco. So for those of you who don't know, Kickstarter um, is a, a platform. It's a crowdfunding platform where people show their idea. They've got an invention, a project, whatever it is. And you pledge a certain amount. So they have a goal. So maybe it's $100,000. If I reach $100,000, the pledge is $100 per item or whatever it is, then I'll be able to produce these items, ship them out. And, and typically Kickstarter is pretty good with it's a, kind of a no guarantee thing in some ways, but usually the, the ones that are towards the top, the, the highest parts of Kickstarter are going to be from people, creators who've already had successful platforms. So if they've had successful, plot, uh, successful Kickstarters in the past, successful projects, you can look and say, Hey, they've already produced four or five different games or widgets or whatever it is that they're making and they've successfully created and delivered them. So I can, you know, I can back this. Well, there was a project uh, back in 2020. I I funded this in May of 2020, May 5th to be exact. And it was a project for miniatures for like games like D&D, that type of stuff. And typically for miniatures, depending on the type of game, if you're talking like Games Workshop, that's a bolo for you. Um, games workshop games, especially for like Warhammer 40k, those types of games or even the, the old Warhammer game. They're very, very, very profitable. You're paying out the nose. I mean, you could potentially if it's just like a, a box of models, maybe you're getting 10 models and you're paying like 40 bucks for it. Uh, sometimes individual models can be 30 to several hundred dollars depending on the model themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a typical D&D miniature, if you just walked into a game shop and you bought one uh, plastic, good, good resin, you're probably paying like 
anywhere from five to 12 bucks for it. Or even on Amazon, you're paying 12 bucks per miniature. And there have been in the past some pretty successful ones launched by Reaper where they, they do like a whole bunch of them at once. Well, this is one called Blacklist Miniatures. And there may be, I'm sure with our, our fan base, there's at least one or two other people who maybe are in this fiasco with me. So back in 2020, <laughs> this almost too good to be true, but this 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 uh, creator had created multiple games, had successfully funded them and, and shipped them out. So I backed this thing called Blacklist um, uh, Fantasy Miniatures thing, and it was over 200 miniatures. And the way Kickstarter often works is there's like tiers that you can unlock along the way. Okay. So it started with 75 miniatures and every time it got to like a new milestone. So like once we raise 100,000, it'll unlock these 10 more miniatures. So you pay one price, but you get these if, if we reach this. And once we reach this goal, then it unlocks these miniatures. So by the time it was said and done, the project had, I've got the number here, $1,156,102 is mm. how much they raised. And with 16,420 backers. Now I bought multiple because it was such a good deal because yeah. it was like $65. I had to pay shipping to shipping was you know, 15 bucks or something like yeah. that. But I paid $65 for over 200 miniatures. So my thought is I'm going to be able to sell these when these come easily for $300 a box, right? 65 bucks to 300. That's a pretty good deal. Well, the craziest thing happened is they produced them. They were in production. They're showing us like copies of their, like them being produced and them being made and all that stuff. And they finally were done. They're going to ship out. They were supposed to ship out December of 2020. So I was thinking, I'll get them probably like after Christmas. Well, it's after Christmas, some issues, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, it's 2020 and there's like shipping issues. So they're stuck in the boats in China. We can't get we can't get the the cargo ships for them. And that was one of the what? times I was like, I know we're for sure we're having issues with with shipping, like the the shipping chain, the supply chain, because I mean, I'm seeing this, right? This company is is showing us the receipts from the companies, their back and forth emails. They could not secure the cargo ships in order to get the stuff here. Finally, they start getting some ships and like, okay, it's going to be a couple more months because it's coming from China and it's got to go to this port first and then this port. They ended up shipping all of the, the ones that were not for America or North, North America. So Canada, United States, Mexico, all the ones for like Europe, Australia, uh, those areas, those continents, those all shipped. People got them. I started seeing like people getting them, opening, unboxing. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, sweet, mine's coming. Crickets for the American one. And then I'm telling you the years, literally years of occasional updates, thousands of comments. There's like almost 30,000 comments of people like blowing this company up. So what happened is they all got to the warehouse in the United States over a year ago and they've been sitting in the warehouse because the company spent all of the money for shipping to ship them to Europe. Oh my goodness. And they this didn't have so the money crazy. to fulfill shipping in North America. So my miniatures along with everybody else who bought them in North America have been sitting for like a year and a half inside of a warehouse inside of America held hostage. There's nothing we can do about it. People are reaching out to them. Like, what if I just paid you individually for shipping? Could you ship them out? No. This company and the problem was every like not only are they racking up storage fees. I mean, you know how it is with Amazon. You have stuff in storage. You paying yeah. big space fees. Yeah. Not only are they racking up storage fees, but the the That's cost so of the company, the cost of the company is called QM, QML is like the logistics company that ships it all out. That company um, had kept raising their rates because it's getting more expensive to ship. Mm. So what would have cost them X amount? So so what they had 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 available to ship wasn't even going to cover like 10% of the cost to ship to North America. And this company is like, no, we're not shipping your stuff until you pay us our money. So it has been a long ride. People have been like, we've been getting told up and down by the company. Occasionally they're like, we've got an investor. They're going to invest to help us with other games and it's going to help wow. cover the shipping for this. Just be patient. And one of the things that came up during the discussion, which I thought was interesting, and it kind of applies to us as resellers too, is that... Um, People were like, legally, I paid my shipping. Mm -hmm. I paid to have this mm -hmm. shipped. You shipped it and it hasn't come to me. And it's been it's, like, is that mail fraud? Like that was what some people were saying. Like, is this mail fraud? The fact that we paid for shipping on this, it's been shipped, but like you, you, you're you not fulfilling the shipping for not just not like one person that got lost, but hundreds of thousands of people. Well, there's 16,000 people. So probably <laughs> a lot of people, probably like 10,000 people, people yeah. are waiting for their, their miniatures. And they're all just sitting in a warehouse and, and there's nothing we can do about it. Well, finally, the company 
QML kind of took over and they they did their own thing. They kind of that that company blacklist that made these miniatures like they, they've dissolved. They've they, people have like I think there's like legal issues galore on this. But anyways, QML was able to work out a deal with Kickstarter and the pledge fund manager, and we were able to pay them directly for the the, the shipping of it. Mm-hmm. And so I had to pay additional shipping. And so I had to kind of figure out, okay, sunk cost, right? I've already paid X amount. It's been sitting, that money's gone. Cause a lot of times people think like, well, I've already paid so much for something. I might as well pay extra. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always work that way, right? Like that money is sunk cost. That money is gone. You kind of have to look at it as square one. Would I pay this now? And so I did the math and it still worked out. I'm still going to be able to make a profit, but I had to pay like an additional $30 shipping or $25 shipping per box that was going to be shipped to me, um, which is a, a pain, but it's actually going to come like these are actually going to come, which is exciting. Now, the bummer with this is I think part of the deal that they made with this company, this logistics shipping company, was that all of the extras that like people backed out of or whatever happened. I think there was something crazy, like almost 800 extra copies of the game or the of the miniatures that were like it is a mess so like 800 copies of this like not claimed so qml basically took over these so they get to sell them at retail price but they offered them to us backers first so i could have paid however much it was they were charging more from like 150 bucks each if i wanted to buy more of them but i'm like i'm not gonna buy any more at this point like i've already paid way too much at that point my my profit margin goes down but here's my concern these i'm thinking are probably going to come the next few months but because QML has all of these extra ones that aren't going to the people who originally wanted them for themselves, that the market's going to be flooded for a little while. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the ones selling them. They're going to be selling them at retail value. But I still think that the demand for these, because it's almost like a hype in some ways of people have been anticipating them for years. They've never come. People keep anticipating them. So now all of a sudden there's going to be a flood of market, I think for a short amount of time. So I think when they arrive, I'm going to have a few month period where I'm not going to be able to list them and sell them for high, high value. I'm going to, I'd end up be racing to the bottom. So instead I'm going to hold on to them, wait a little bit. Once the, once they sell all the retail ones, I don't think any more of these are ever going to be made. So I think the value of them is going to go, it's going to skyrocket because there's, it's high quality miniatures. Like a lot of them are like, you know, like regular miniatures, but some of them are like extra, extra large ones, like huge miniatures. So uh, I think that the value of this potentially I'm I'm thinking maybe even more, I might be able to sell these boxes for like $400 a pop once all said and done. So really? I think it's going to be a problem, but, but for the last, I'd say six months, anybody who's anybody who's commenting, which there's people, I mean, it's actually kind of funny. I'd go in at least once a week to read the comments because there were some like super backers who probably paid thousands of dollars buying lots of these just hilarious comments. There's one person who pretended to be the owner of the company and would like do, do a, a long memo every single week of like, you know, uh, just so you know, you're not going to get your miniatures, but we're going to take more money from you and just like funny stuff. So uh, it's been a, it's been a nightmare, but I think when it's all said and done, I'm going to, it's going to be profitable. And to go from thinking that that was just lost money, that I had gambled the money and it didn't pay off, which is a risk with Kickstarter, but Kickstarter can be very valuable. A lot of things, especially because you get Kickstarter exclusives can be very, very valuable. If you've got sealed. And, and one of the reasons too, is a lot of times these are limited runs. These aren't things like some Kickstarters are popular enough, like uh, Exploding Kittens. I'm sure you've seen that mm-hmm. game and like Target where Target or somebody else picks it up and more copies will be made forever. Where other things, there's only maybe a thousand or 10,000 of them made and there'll never be more of them made. But like really cool things like there was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game that was like epic. And oh, I had you a, had those yeah. from that dealer. Yeah, crazy dealer. <laughs> and they were like when you got them on Kickstarter, you probably paid like 150, 200 bucks for them. And they were selling for like $800 on, on That's eBay. So, so the, it, it can pay off, but it, it is a little risky. So I took the risk and I thought for sure I lost the money and to like, have it like, I'm going to get these miniatures. It's actually going to happen, man. That was like, it made my week. So I wasn't able to source this week, but the fact that I paid for shipping, like was the happiest moment of my life. It's not the happiest, but it was an interesting niche to get into to resell because it's not talked much i don't i don't think i've ever heard anybody at, at least in the i don't know mainstream reselling community ever talk about it you might be the only one i mean there's others i mean i've, I've actually talked to quite a few people like but not not like youtubers not youtubers like, yeah. like that you know what i mean so interesting so maybe we'll just delete this after we're done with this episode and <laughs> no, i'm joking all right now that's good now i have uh okay before we get into it in case you need some Shipping supplies at this moment. One place that is not scarce is American Bubble Boy. And I got to tell you, 
selling all these collectibles and vintage stuff i've never needed so much bubble wrap in my life but it's been awesome because i've been able to order from americanbubbleboy.com if you go to the link below uh it helps us out it's our affiliate link uh but you get next day today you can even do local pickup and the shipping is free and it's pretty quick and so when you need it it's gonna be here and and i'm telling you the even this week you might be running low it's a great time to buy because you never know when that flood of sales is going to come and you're going to say, wow, I'm so glad American Bowl Boy had that next day shipping. And so it's been really helpful for me. <laughs> I'm just not pushing this just because it helps us out. I'm telling you, I'm a constant buyer of American Bowl Boy for myself. And so is Mike. Yeah. So. All right. So random story. So I, I just I'm just going to share one because we've really gone long in this update section. It's crazy. This, this might be the uh, longest episode in a while. So I went to this estate sale and it showed up really late. I've been sourcing into December, which I've never gone to garage sales in December. This is weird. So I go to the estate sale. I drive about 30, 40 minutes from where I live and I go to the second floor and it's clothing and it's really weird the way they had it set up. All shoes were $2. So I'm like, oh, wow, I'm going to score some things. There was actually shape ups new unbox. Guess what? I didn't pick them up. I don't pick up shape ups anymore. Those are like you're, you're asking just to lose money. And the way you're going to lose money is when it gets shipped back to you if you do free returns. So maybe don't do free returns, not shape ups, but the material on those fall apart. So I'm going through the clothing and I see I'm seeing these tags and I see these vintage new with tags, uh, shirts, and they wanted twenty six dollars for each of them. And I'm like, what? Twenty six dollars. And there's another, you know, there's other resellers in the room. Like, am I reading this right? They want twenty six dollars for these T-shirts. And they're like, yeah, it, it's kind of crazy. This is probably the most expensive estate sale I've been to. Now, I've been—I'm not saying I'm the estate sale guy, but I, I go through a lot. I go to a lot of estate sales, and generally, clothing, shirts, at least here in San Diego, maybe top, maybe four to five dollars a piece. Maybe, may I've seen Hawaiian shirts sometimes for seven dollars, but generally, you can negotiate. And there also was a sign that said cashiers cannot negotiate. I've always said this. Always ask. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just be, just be that arrogant person. I think the rules don't apply to you. Okay. So, so I, I, I asked the lady there. I'm like, hey, so are you guys serious that you guys won't negotiate? I mean, because these prices are kind of high, and usually I'm not that guy, but I was that guy this time because I was like, this is kind of off. And she goes, yeah, but you know what? If you buy enough, maybe we can make a deal. And so, sure enough, here we go. So I picked up all the shirts and I put them on the table and I said, hey, listen, um, you know, let, let's just see what lands. And, and if I can't buy, I can't buy. She's like, you know what? Let me see what I can do for you. So she goes, she talks to the head of the state sale. She comes back. She's like, I'll give you all of this for 50 percent off. I'm like, all right, deal. Because the shirts, the vintage shirts, I could probably sell for like 100 a piece. And the, so even 26 isn't bad. It wasn't bad, but it's the principle of the matter. It's the state sale, OK? So then I go down to the final table. So I, you don't pay that you give your receipt. Then you go downstairs and then you go to the final table. And again, there's another sign. Cashiers will not negotiate. Now, I always try to negotiate when there's no resellers around because I always feel like estate people don't want to make deals when they know other people are around because then they feel that they can't, you know, they're going to have to make a deal with somebody else. But there's this guy that just like was watching me at work here. So I go to the table, I put my stuff and. They said, okay, total is going to be $78. And I said, hey, you know, the sign says cashiers can't negotiate. But are you sure you can negotiate with me? She's like, oh, I really can. And I know the owner won't go much. But, you know, I can go from $78 to $75. I was like, no, I was thinking more. I was thinking more like 60 Can we do 60 And she's like, no, I, I'm pretty sure the owner is not going to be okay with this. I'm like, are you sure? What? How about you go ask her? And so she goes to the owner. Go get your manager. Yeah. And the manager comes over to the owner and she looks at all the stuff and she's like, I can do something for you. She's like, how about 60? <laughs> I was like, sold. I'm like, I wish I got it on camera. I was so there. Everybody was looking over my shoulder. Not look. I, I don't know why, but I just felt really uncomfortable. First time ever. And uh, sure. I walked away with everything for $60. And so I'm going to make that profit. Actually, I have one of the items right here randomly on our table. It's a Mattel electronics hockey game that will probably sell for $60. But here's the thing. Always ask, 
even if it says non-negotiable, always ask. I can't tell you how many times I've been at the thrift store and they're like, oh, corporate lines, like we can't negotiate. No, because managers want to move stuff. And so they will negotiate. Worst thing that can happen to you is somebody can tell you no. I remember we read that book, The 4-Hour Work Week, and I was like, yeah, try, try to get test, 100 no's. Try to get 100 no's. I'm telling you, just just go for it. Just go for it. It, it, never, it never hurts. Okay, at least in reselling. In the dating world, maybe it'll hurt every time you get a no. But as far as reselling, you're probably going to get a deal most of the time. So anyways, that's my random random story. Hey, uh, yeah, okay, we're just going to throw this now. If you haven't been uh, following us on social media, just follow us. We're Pierce Podcast on all social media, and we are Pierce Cast on Twitter. You know, I don't know about the blue check mark now. Is it even available for us? I mean, it probably is, but like I said, like it would just be a vanity thing for us. Whenever Elon tweets something, I look at all the blue check marks. I'm like, who are these people? Yeah. Well, but I, I think kind of the the whole purpose of that is just to say like you're an actual real verified person, and it's not just like you're you're an elite that we chose. You know. Okay. So, <laughs> but but we're the only ones. So maybe if like there were a bunch of fake Pure Hustle podcasts like uh, accounts out there, then we'd want to have the blue check marks so people would know that it was the real one. But nobody's intimidate or imitating us so yeah it, we wouldn't be doing we wouldn't be gaining anything by i, I felt really check. bad so today uh it was like our end of the year christmas party so i, I teach at homeschool co-ops right and a lot of students found my account our account mm. and they're like hey it was so awesome that i found out that you were following me and then i realized it was the fake account and i felt really bad i'm like i'm sorry I, I, you know, I, I tend to want to, we want to follow legit resellers. We don't just want to follow anybody, but it was just that fake, that fake account was like going after people. Hmm. So if there, if anybody misspells Pure as a podcast, okay. Understand we're educators and we will not misspell Pure as a podcast. Just yeah. know that. Okay. We do make mistakes, but that's we, one we, we do. try not to make. But Pure as a podcast is double T. That was not us. Um, and also we want to say thank you to all of you who um, are, have joined our Patreon uh, Pure House Podcast exists because we have supporters who find that what we do is valuable. Um, we we take a lot of time to make the content, to edit it, to make sure that there's episodes every single week. I mean, we're going to have episodes going even the week of Christmas, the week of New Year's, uh, a little bit shorter, but we never skip. I don't know if we've ever skipped a week since we've started. Like we have been mm-hmm. consistent. Uh, and I think most shows, they, they take quite a bit of time off. A lot of times they take months off at a time. Uh, we've been consistent. And the reason we've been able to, to stay consistent and take the time away from our family and from reselling is because we have many, many, many supporters who are willing to say, you know, Pierce podcast, the content you're putting out is funny or it's helpful or it's, you know, keeps me occupied or whatever it is. It's a nice background noise. It's background noise. It helps me sleep, whatever it is. Uh, and they support us. And by supporting us with $5 a month through Patreon, it's $5.55. Uh, you get access to our Discord. Uh, we don't put any of our content behind a, a paywall. We've been pretty, pretty set on that from the very beginning. We're not. We don't want to trick anybody to say like, if you want the real stuff, come follow us. But Patreon uh, and the Discord has really kind of taken off and, and become its own living organism, where where a lot of our the people are active. They're communicating. They're getting tips and 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 deals from each other, and it's been a really cool place to learn. Um, it's not necessary you don't have to be on the discord if you support us but uh, it is a a kind of a bonus we give it's a way of still keeping our content free but giving something to those of you who are willing to say parasol podcast we appreciate it uh we, we're thankful for it and we want to support it and make sure it keeps happening yeah so definitely sign up you can go to the link below or go to patreon.com slash podcast and at the bottom tier it's only 555 a month definitely a great way to support the podcast all right so uh let's dive into some reseller topics let's do it it's time to start tipping your Amazon driver. Yetis have invaded Alaska, and there's been credit card and retail fraud. All of this and more on Reseller News. So there's not a lot going on except the craziness of Q4 right now, but there's some interesting things. I don't even know if this is reselling related, but I thought it was interesting. I don't know if, if you knew about this, but... So at first, when I read this new story, so the headline is Amazon says popular driver tip program ended after about a million thank yous, $1 after it started. So let me just share one real day. Quick. One day. Yeah. Okay. 
So Amazon at the end of the promotion that allowed customers to thank their delivery driver drivers with a tip paid for by Amazon. So initially I thought it was people who were tipping oh, right, the Amazon right. driver, but it's actually it was Amazon. Spokesperson confirmed, but to USA Today on Saturday, the company said Wednesday that program would apply to the first million thank yous. A day later, all of the company backed five dollar tips had been given out. The company said the promotion led shoppers show gratitude to the driver who delivered their most recent package by tipping them five dollars and no cost to the customer. Customers with an Alexa and Alexa-enabled device or Amazon Shopping mobile app could initiate the tip saying, Alexa, thank my driver. In addition to the $5 tips, the driver, first five drivers uh, with the most thank yous would be rewarded $10,000 plus an additional $10,000 to their charity of choice, Amazon said in a Wednesday press release. Oh, that's a cool program. Um, it's one of those ways that they can kind of give a bonus. And one of the cool things that people don't realize, I mean, there are official Amazon drivers that work for Amazon. And then there are a lot of people who kind of do it as a side hustle. Mm -hmm. When you get the random people who pull up in their car and they just stop in your house and they usually they don't know where to deliver stuff. And one of the things to remember is these are people who are hustling just like we are with reselling and they're trying to find a way to make extra cash. And it's kind of like the new way of delivering pizzas or newspapers. And I know a lot of people who do this. In fact, I know a person who's a teacher works at my work and he goes in the morning. And so that's why sometimes you see it's like your item has been picked up by the driver, but it's like way later in the day that it gets mm -hmm. delivered. He, he has to drive really early in the morning to the warehouse, pick up a bunch of packages. And then on his way home from work, he drops off the packages that like give him his route and he drops them off. And that's the way he's able to pay for his mortgage, right? Like he needs that. And it's, you know, you look at that and it's like, it's, it's a bummer that people have to do that. But a lot of these people I could imagine, like, it would be very nice to say, cause I'm not, people are going to like automatically turn off and say I'm a bad guy because I'm not a huge fan of tipping, but I think no, we need to talk about no, no, no. We're not, everything we're, is tipped. Yeah. That's that. That's where the problem is. Like there's like the traditional, like where you'd say, okay, like server jobs. And then like now, yeah, when I go places and, and it's, you do it all yourself or like you, you ordered fast food and there's like a place for you, like how much you want for a tip. And it's like, you feel like a jerk putting like nothing, but you're like, I literally like drove here myself and got like, I know you did the, it's a, it's a weird gray thing, but one of the things I would say is like, it does make sense. You know, we've talked about it in the past. Like if you've got a UPS driver or a USPS driver, who's very good and they're, they're coming to your house, they're picking up packages for you all the time. You develop that relationship. There's nothing wrong with giving them a Christmas card or like giving them a thank you. And, and so I could see that like a program like this, it's kind of nice that it was, I think it would, it would probably be annoying if they made it where customers were tipping because then it would become the norm. And the next thing you know, your Amazon packages aren't arriving as early or they're, they're coming and they're being thrown at your door because you're known as the, the customer who never tips. And so then when you order things, you have to pay more. So um, it's kind of a cool program that it was Amazon actually paying. I just wonder, I just, I, the reason I brought it up, I'm just wondering if there's something reseller related or something that we're not seeing. Like, is it something that a program that eventually people will be able to get their items faster if they tip a driver? Well, well, you know, because even right now, like they have a thing on Amazon that you can get your package overnight, either by spending more than I think it's like twenty five dollars, or by paying two ninety nine, right? But what if now it's like, hey, if 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 you're able to tip a driver, you'll get more. Like it's, I I just think I I just wonder how much it's related to everything going on. Because I will say on a mac macro level, Amazon like the UPS stores are not busy right now. I don't know I I don't know how much shipping you've been doing, but. Signs to me that the the economy is in a in an interesting place for Q4 is I have never I have not had to wait in line at UPS. Yeah, same thing. I went into Postal Annex a few times and and it's dead. Whereas usually this time of the year is huge. It's crazy lines, right yeah. now, but it's not. Post office, not crazy. Like the the it has not hasn't been stuffed in the little uh thing that you put your packages in. Like I haven't had an issue. So I just wonder if Amazon right now, as a result of having to lay off those workers, as a result of not getting that much business and shipping, now they're just trying to keep things to keep morale going. Yeah, so this is a morale boost for sure. Yeah. So I, I don't know, but it, it was a good thing. Now, I think this story was interesting. So, hey, if anybody wants to go sourcing with me, like take a flight to Alaska and actually it's happening in Seattle and in Washington, like we can score some Yetis. Okay. So let's take a look at what's going on here. Okay, so uh, an invasion is brewing in the Bering Sea, however. This solution campaign is one of happy discovery and debris retrieval. The amphibious assault originating in the Philippines was prosecuted by beverage coolers popular among middle-class outdoorsmen and Oregonians. Uh, who, who, what is this? It's a national review. I don't know why I didn't pick up an easier 
place to read. Uh, the Wall Street Journal reports that a shipping mishap has made U.S.-based Yeti the largest navy in the world uh, with 1,600 of, of its products cruising the Pacific Ocean. So let me read this real quick. This is an interesting story. Uh, Katie PV runs a whale-watching tour business and knows the local seas as well as anybody in her coastal city of Craig, Alaska. When Miss PV heard last fall about her freight losing shipping containers in rough waters off the coast of British Columbia, the longtime beachcomber knew by experience that cargo would likely drift her way. Storms and currents in the Gulf of Alaska deliver all manner of flotsam to shore, never though a bounty like this one. In April, Miss PV, her son and daughter-in-law piled into a 22-foot Hughes Craft Ocean Pro boat for a scouting mission around Sumez Island. She waited on the boat while they searched the shoreline. While watching through binoculars, Miss PV soon saw her son carrying what looked like a big styrofoam block. It was a Yeti cooler, the kind that fetched as much as $750. We wanted to keep it quiet, she said, but we told a few people and we go out. News of the seaborne windfall kicked off a search frenzy that looked like an Easter egg hunt, said Kurt Whitehead, 51, a commercial fisherman in Qualloc, Alaska. So basically what's happening off the coast of Alaska and Seattle is a bunch of Yetis are just showing up on beaches. And actually, there's another story I read of people going in planes and looking for Yetis along the coast. It's like it's like a treasure chest, but it's a cooler. How fun would that be, though? I think that would be fun unless you don't find anything. But once you start finding those Yeti coolers, you're kind of like, wow, let's keep searching. I mean, it's not bad. Like, Like I was thinking, like, if I caught a flight. Right. It cost me like, oh my gosh, $200. Right. And then, you know, I start looking on the coast and I start because I saw there's a picture and I'll, I'll post it. I'll post it today on Instagram. There's a picture of like somebody that, that had a plane that found like 50 Yetis. So here's right? the way. So during the gold rush in California, you know who made the money? The people selling the tools that is and the, the stuff right, right. to get the gold, not the people getting the gold. And so that's the same thing. It's like that, that would be like a new gold rush. You'd spend way more money going out there than you could possibly <laughs> get finding true. a couple that, of Yetis. That's, that's a great fact. But anyways, if you're looking for a place to source Yetis, and if you don't know what a sh- Yeti is, because people are like, are you looking for the abominable snowman? Yetis are these coolers. Okay, sometimes Everybody they're bright knows colors. what a Yeti is. Was that? Everybody You think so? It. Yes. All right. Anyways, if you're new, that's what they are. The best, you know, the best ones I've sold lately are the 24 Roadie, where you can put like 24 cans in a Yeti. So anyways, I thought it was a fun story. All right. So this one isn't a story, but uh, I came across, I was bored one day and I was on Netflix and there was a movie. I think it's the gal from uh, Parks and Rec, um, like the one with the Mm -hmm. attitude. Mm -hmm. I think her name's Aubrey Plaza. I I can't remember, but I was intrigued because it was about credit card fraud. And the only reason I was intrigued was because when I used to work for, for Target and Marshall Fields and I used to do their security, we had credit card for all the time, but it was so easy to catch because usually these people would go in and they would spend like a thousand dollars. And like, you know, it'd be something like somebody that looked like me. In case you haven't watched the, the the YouTube, you should jump over to YouTube, by the way. We didn't mention that. So, you know, what we look like, but it'd be something like, you know, and and their name and the name on my credit card would be John Smith. I look nothing like a John Smith. Okay. At least I don't think I do. What is, what's that supposed to be? I, I, whatever. You interpret what you want. Okay. But it would be really easy. And sure enough, we'd call the cops and lo and behold, this guy's not John Smith. And it was credit card fraud. Well, in this in this in this movie, what happens is that people somebody pays somebody two hundred dollars. And what they do is they pay these individuals to to use these credit cards. So the credit cards aren't stolen. What you can do is you can get a. am not going to go into logistics of it, but you can get credit card numbers and then you put these credit card numbers onto these you know, credit card cards that don't have an account. And then what they would do is they pay these people $200 to just go in the store and make one purchase. So they would buy like one plasma TV for uh, pla- is there such thing as plasma TVs anymore. I don't know. I don't know. A flat screen TV plasmas from the early two thousands, a flat, one of them fancy TVs, <laughs> a flat screen TV for $800, or they would go and buy like a video game console or they would buy something. And then they would come back and they get paid $200. And then this guy that organizes this. So he has like 50 people do this. Then he's fencing all this stuff on Craigslist and he's fencing it on offer up or whatever, or maybe Amazon and eBay. And I thought to myself, I said, this has to be true to life. Yeah. Like how often, like, cause this is really hard to catch. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure that happens. I mean, well, and, and something for sure that I know is happening right now. So, um, along those same lines of like credit card 
theft and those rings. We talked about that even with like the, the theft, like, you know, if it's under $400 or however much that is now that's like, they don't even prosecute. Um, but one of the things that's really booming right now is gift card fraud. Mm. And I bought a gift card for my friend for his birthday and I gave it to him and I bought it, paid for it that night at a Albertsons and it wasn't tampered with or anything, put $25 on it, give it to him. A couple of days later, he's like, Hey, like, just want to let you know, like, there's an issue with like the card. Like, do you like how much money was on it? Cause I'm trying to deal with Amazon. And so I tell him, so it was $25. And I had like the receipt that showed that I put the money on it. I had the, the confirmation code receipt still. And so I took pictures, I sent it to him and somebody had hacked that card what? and got the money and there was nothing That's we crazy. could do. He ended up giving me the card. We called Amazon. Like they were like, no, like literally like minutes after you put money on the card, it was already spent. Like then there's nothing we could do about it. Like we can't prove anything. And then recently my wife read an article that it's happening a lot at stores and they like tell you like, if you get, uh, gift cards, get them usually from the back of the rack. Cause a lot of times the people who will scam them, will put them towards the front. So it's the one you pick up and you scan. And then they said, somebody asked like the, the news person asked like, how, how are they doing this? Like, cause this doesn't make sense how they're able to get away with this. And the company, I think it was visa was the, the one going through. This was like, we actually honestly like are not going to say why and how it's happening. Um, we're still like figuring it all out. They said, because we don't want other people copying this because it's basically such an ingenious thing that they're doing. So be careful if you're getting gift cards for people, it's actually better to do like uh like e-gift cards where you send them through email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's actually a safer way right now than to buy gift cards at a store. Uh, because yeah, I mean the, the way people will fraud, they can fraud anything. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. No, people have been, I've seen people on social media that have bought gift cards and they go, and you know how you scratch off for the code? It's already been scratched off. Yeah. Well, this one for sure hadn't been tampered with at all. Interesting. Yeah. So before this becomes a show that is about crime, whatever, I just wanted to say as a reseller, this is why I'm very much pushing that retail arbitrage is a, I think it's just going to get more difficult as technology gets better at this, as people are able to commit more fraud. I'm, I'm thinking even this Q4, I've been trying to sell a lot of things that I had last year. And here's the problem. I, you can't compete with theft, right? You can't compete with super low dollar amounts. And so just be aware of that. Just be aware if you're getting into retail arbitrage, there's always that element. And that element, you know, can definitely tank and create a huge race to the bottom, all the prices that you've been expecting. And, and that's why I kind of like eBay now a lot more. Uh, because on eBay, like vintage goods, like no one's out trying to purchase vintage goods with fake credit cards or or stolen gift cards or, you know, no no one's hijacking a Hot Wheel collections. It might happen, but not that I know of. So that's how it related uh, to reselling. Yeah. All right. I think, man, I can't believe we're, we're hitting an hour. We're going to be hitting an hour here soon. It's all good. All right. Let's talk about some tips. Bolo. What's your bolo? What's your bolo? Um, I'm not sure. I don't think we've we've mentioned this before. Um, and this is not like a, a crazy bolo, but it's something I think people might overlook. So when you're at a state sales, especially, I don't think you'll find this as much at garage sales, maybe thrift stores. Uh, but don't be afraid to look at and pick up yearbooks. Mm -hmm. Now, this mm -hmm. is a very, very specific niche. Now, if you get lucky, I mean, there's certain ones. It's like a yearbook of like a famous person or something like that. Like those obviously are going to go for crazy amounts. But yearbooks can sell for decent amounts um, into the 60s, 70s, 80s dollars for a yearbook and people will gladly pay it. The thing is, you're looking for a very specific client, right? Like you're looking for one person or a few people who are looking for a yearbook for that year. Like, for instance, I never got a yearbook for my senior year. And I've looked a lot like they have those like online things where they have people will post the yearbooks online for whatever reason. My year is not there. I have not been able to find it on eBay, but I occasionally look to see like, man, if somebody were to put it up on eBay, I'd buy it just because, you know, I forgot the names of most of those people mm -hmm. and, you know, it'd be kind of cool to see where some of those people are today. And so people think about like an estate sale somebody's got a yearbook from the fifties, they've passed away. Uh, it's just there in the house. And if a family hadn't picked it up, cause a lot of times they're like, yeah, I don't really care about my dad's or my grandpa's like, high school mates. But there are a lot of people who, you know, if you lose a yearbook, you, you can't get another one most of the time. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for, you know, maybe your grandparents had a fire in their house and they lost a lot of things from their their youth and they've been looking for a yearbook, you can't just go to the publisher unless it's like relatively new or something like that. 
So you could pick up a yearbook and be sitting on it for a long time because you're looking for one person. It's not like, I mean, maybe some people collect yearbooks. I, I don't know. Well, they do because you find celebrities. Right. That's what I mean. So there, there are people who are looking for famous ones. Uh, but if it's just like there's no celebrity in it and it's just a regular yearbook. Still listen. You yeah. can still list it, right? And a lot of times you're able to pick these up for dirt cheap because, again, this is one of those things that most people in the world don't care about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you can pick it up for 50 cents at a, an estate sale. No problem. All right, throw it up, list it for 60 bucks, throw it in a corner. No big deal. Maybe it never sales. You lost $50, but you can do pretty good. And that kind of leads to another part of this below, which is hardbound books. And I know like, you know, we've talked about books and which types of years and things like that can be useful and, and valuable. But I have always like if I buy books like a, a fiction book, I'm always buying the paperback to me. I, I prefer a paperback. Mm -hmm. It's easier to like fold, hold my hand. But as I've been building a library of like more valuable books, books that like are, um, you know, not mass produced. They're ones maybe from smaller publishers. I really like a certain topic and there was only a handful of these books, like thousands of them made. I prefer the hardback hundred percent. And one of the things I've noticed is even books is as recent as the last 30 years, if it's a hardback version of it, they can sell for crazy amounts of money. Mm -hmm. And so obviously you can walk into an estate sale and just see walls of hardback books. So it's not like that's just a bolo. But a lot of times where a paperback might only fetch you $30, $40, the hardback might fetch you well over $100. I just recently was able to score a hardback book on eBay. I think the person didn't realize uh, that the hardbacks usually go for like $150. And they listed a hardback for the price that the paperbacks were going, which was like $35. And so I snagged it. Uh, so can you, can you tell everyone what? No, <laughs> no I'm not going to say what the book was. Um, but it's so be on the lookout. Um, you know, there's certain things that are going to be, like I said, your books can be valuable, can be. Uh, again, some people are on the hunt. So maybe lot them, right? If you got a whole bunch of them and people that are collectors, uh, but you never know. You might sit on it for years and years and years, may never sell. But if it does sell, somebody's, I'd be willing to pay 60, 70 bucks for my yearbook, you know? No, I get it. I mean, I, I and and it doesn't even have to be a big school. The smaller schools are even harder yep. to find, right? So you just, you never know. And again, it's, are you willing to do the long tail game? Uh, again, if you can get it for cheap, again, cost is everything. If you get it for cheap and it's not going to cost you much to have it listed for a while, why not? And I'm pretty sure a lot of people in the comments are going to say, I saw, I saw your book. Cause in the yeah. discord, I think we've had a few conversations yeah. about yearbooks. So, all right. My bolo are uh Christmas Carol bells, like electronic bells. Mm -hmm. So there's a, they're called yay, Mary minstrel. That's just the kind that I guess that sells well, but it's been interesting because these bells, I don't know, like two years ago, I would, I'd pick them up and they took about six months to sell, sometimes a year. Now I will pick these up and within the week they're gone. Now it could be because right now, because it's, it's Q4, Christmas. it could be, but it's just, it's interesting because I, I think it's just something that is no longer being made. And again, keep an eye. So for example, I picked up a fiber optic Christmas wreath, you know, fiber optics, how things change colors and stuff. And those sell well too, right? But I would say keep an eye for Christmas caroling bells. I, I've already mentioned Mr. Christmas on this podcast, anything Mr. Christmas, but this one is by the company uh, Ye Merry Minstrel. And these actually sell really well. You can buy, pick them up for like two bucks, five bucks. And generally they'll sell at the low end, $60 on the high end, 120, 130. I've even, you know, I, I think I sold one close to 150 one time. So Keep an eye out. Definitely a bolo. They're in a green box. Easy to test. Make sure you take that video for your eBay listing and you should be good. All right. Hey, before we move on, if, if you definitely want to get stuff at a low cost and source well, you can go over to Whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> so use our Why link not? below and you'll get $15 credit, which will give you an even lower price uh, for those items that you're sourcing. So go on over to our link, uh, $15 credit. You don't have to buy anything that we auction. You can buy from anyone. And, and it's kind of cool because when people buy, they let us know <laughs> what, they, what was purchased. And I'm like, that wasn't from us, but somebody picked up a J.I. Joe collectible. Somebody picked up a Pokemon card, whatever it is. You get that free $15. So make sure to go to the link below and use that whatnot link. Yeah. All right. So what are you looking forward to here? Um, man, just recovering and actually being able to uh, source and list again. Man, when you're like sick and you're like dying, you, you just can't get anything done. <laughs> and just normalcy. Like you're, you're, you're ready for, you're ready to just get back to work. And it's weird to think that, but like you can only lay down in bed for so long before you're ready to like hustle again. Yeah, I get that. I, I, it's, it's kind of, 
yeah, if I if I don't if I'm not doing something for a while, I I, I need to do yeah, it gets old fast. Yeah, yeah, it does. So I, I I'm just I I just can't wait to get more last minute sales. I right now I'm selling all kinds of random stuff for good money, and I'm I'm hoping this lasts through January, just in the sense that January is a great month for used goods. So the Q4 doesn't necessarily end. Uh, I'm also uh, I'm looking for more sourcing opportunities. I feel that people are willing to sell. And, you know, for example, with the, that train I shared earlier in the podcast, if I sell the yo-yo and the trains, I'm going to make that money. And so I've already made that money and I'm going to make profit. And then if I hold, I know in, in a year or two, those items are going to sell for double, maybe even triple of what I picked, picked them. Not, not what I picked them up for, but what I'm selling them for now. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm also looking forward to a fresh start in the sense that bookkeeping is always heinous and i'm really trying to do a better job i say that every year this next year and starting with my mileage starting with my you know uh cost of goods all those good things because i gotta tell you this last year i filed in october and it was it was so heinous trying to get everything together and i got it done on time and everything worked out on time late uh well hey you know what the government was cool with it (laughs) Um, but, uh, I, I just, I don't want to do, I want to be one of those people that like files in like February and like, that's it. You're done. Done. I have not done that once. So since you were just recently. playing the long game. Cause you know, if you owe money uh, with inflation, it's like, I'd rather pay six months from now. Cause that money is going to be worthless. It, 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 yeah. Anyway, that's a whole nother discussion. So, all right. Anyways, that being said, they should be real, be relevant and be reselling plates. Peace.